Sales Tuners, Episode 50, Richard Smith, Co-Founder and Head of Sales at Refract. As soon as in a company we decide that there are salespeople that are too good to receive development and coaching, that is when I think we are letting, letting ourselves down as sales leaders. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Shay Given, who said, if you are thinking about mistakes during games, then you are not concentrating on what is important, which is the next shot or the next cross or whatever you have to deal with in that game. The mental side of things is massive, probably the biggest. Joining me today is Richard Smith, co-founder and head of sales at Refract, a sales coaching and enablement platform that helps sales managers identify and immediately improve potentially costly mistakes with their sales team. Based in London, England, when Rich isn't at work, he's recording podcasts and writing articles for his local football team. And yes, I mean the real football, or as those of us in the US call it, soccer. It's five-star iTunes review time. This week, I'm shouting out to Nikki Lakox, who said, I'm hooked. I have just started tuning in on my morning walks in addition to my drive into work. I love this podcast. The format is excellent. The content is thought-provoking and super motivating, and I'm finding myself recommending it to several conversations weekly. Excellent job, Jim. Nikki, thank you so much. You rock. Shoot me an email so I can send you the sales book of your choice. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 50. But now let's get to the conversation where we hit the timely topic of the Premier League kicking off and Richard talks about the perennial disappointment he has with Newcastle United. I'm a born and bred what they call Geordies here in the in the UK. It's essentially someone who's uh, from Newcastle. So they're, they're my hometown team. Um, I believe I started following them when I was probably about nine years old. Um, and, you know, over time, uh, kind of got more into into the sport, got, you know, was a season ticket holder for a number of years. Um, and whereas a lot of my friends uh, kind of lost interest and um, I guess lost hope of supporting Newcastle, who have been perennial um, disappointers, uh, I've I've somehow managed to to keep the passion uh, of anything else. Uh, you know that that passion has actually increased. And uh, moving away from the city, um, I've still maintained a, a really close um, connection to the club through you know getting involved in um, writing blogs, recording podcasts, and and still managing to get to to quite a number of games too. So um, so yeah, so I'm I'm hoping this season's going to be a, a bit a, a bit more positive because the last few years have certainly been quite bleak. I love it. I, I'm uh, planning to spend a month in London next July and uh, can't wait to just start to be surrounded with the, the local football scene and whatnot. And uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Richard, as you know, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. And, and we're going to go a, a lot of places today, but I want to start with uh, you telling me about your sales process today. What is Refract and why does a typical customer buy from you? So Refract is um, conversational insights and coaching technology. 
Um, the reason that we actually created Refract is um, really from you know my, myself and my co-founder, my CEO. We're both we're both salespeople by trade, and um, the last company that we actually worked together in. Um, was a company that that specialized in um, online learning technologies, uh, specifically in uh, the, the the realm of online testing, um, and and the, the kind of online learning, online testing, um, is so relevant and very. It's a big industry that's used across so many professions, um, across so many different industries. Um, the the truth is that that when it comes to sales. You know, the, 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 you, you don't really improve in sales by sitting down and doing like an online course at your, your laptop for, for four hours. Um, really, you know, the, the, a lot of how you develop in sales is experiential. It's about doing the job, making the mistakes, you know, observing how um, high performers interact with prospects uh, and taking those kind of that inspiration and building that into your own conversations. It's it's it ultimately the, the success of sales comes down to the the conversations that you have with uh, with your prospects and customers. So when we when we were looking when we were thinking about this more and more, we said the problem with coaching in sales is that the 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 the, the, the typical problem that will be an obstruction to coaching is this age old um, challenge of time managers simply saying that they don't have the time to coach. They're too busy in meetings and doing other things. And actually, the last episode that I, I, I listened to of Sales Tuners, um, that was a, a very, uh, a, a, it was a strong topic of, you know, as sales managers, we're so caught up in our daily routines and meetings and KPIs and um, everything else that that we don't often spend the time to actually listen to how our reps are selling and giving suggestions for improvement. That's kind of where we, uh, how we came to refract. Yeah, I like that analogy you used of of you know sports and having coaches and coaches who break down the game film with you. One of the things you know, I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and we had Peyton Manning, who um, who was probably one of the best regular season quarterbacks to ever play the game. But the way he meticulously studied his own game film, he would break down the mechanics of everything. And and, and I think you know coaches are great, and we have to have them. I'm a, I'm a sales coach myself; it's how I spend my day. But it's also the having that rep take the initiative to say, you know what I want to record what I'm doing I want to be able to see the ums and ahs and and get those critical moments in there to understand how I could have done things better so I, I love this concept of, of how you're building this so we're, we're, we're going to come back to this but I want to understand you, you mentioned that you you know you're a salesman by trade how did you actually get started in sales one of my friends from university one of my uh, housemates um, he kind of made the suggestion of you know why not fancy why don't why not, why, don't, why don't you actually uh, take an interest in getting involved in sales and you know up until that point sales had never really been this kind of profession that really attracted me it was like you know i, I imagine um a lot of others the the this kind of false perception of sales as being a kind of a dirty profession and it's kind of a smile and dial sort of uh industry so that's kind of what happened i you know landed my first role you know, in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a small software company, very much in a kind of a, an SDR-based role. Um, although, you know, back then that, that kind of SDR profession wasn't as kind of defined as it is now with all of the great um, tools and support there is for, 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 for SDRs. Um, and, you know, from that point, I've never really looked back. Now, from a support standpoint, I understand that, you know, you didn't really have any any sales coach or sales, even, you know, leader at the point when you were first starting, you were kind of handed a, you know, email account and a phone and said, here you go. Uh, so what were those early days like as you were breaking into the field? <laughs> 
Well, I remember the first week in my new role and, you know, the, in, that, in that position, I was selling to um, training managers and HR, heads of HRs for, for large enterprise companies. And it was quite daunting as someone who had never had sales training, who, you know, had never made a cold call before, um, just to almost just kind of throw myself into it and just try and have those conversations. And um, <clears throat> it was uh, working in a relatively quiet office as well. So there was there was just me doing that role. So at times it felt like the entire office was almost kind of listening into my sales conversations, which which kind of made things even more sort of nerve wracking. But but really, Jim, those those that that initial time spent, I can credit to saying, you know, being helping me so much in in you know working my way up and becoming into the position I I am now, because it was a case of just making mistakes and you know my my CEO kind of eavesdropping and giving me little short bits of feedback when he maybe heard me saying the wrong things or talking too much or not asking the right questions. Um, and, and and it was that that kind of initial sort of, um, yeah, kind of being thrown at the deep end that that, that really did set me up and build my confidence into um, and, uh, into to help me develop as a salesperson. So I can see where the, the foundations of what you've built today uh, started from, from those early days. But talk to me about today. So what is what does the typical week look like for you today, Richard? How are you uh, opening up new relationships or new opportunities with prospects? Even though I head up the sales team, uh, one of my mantras has always been that everybody on the sales team, no matter what team you exist in, what uh, what 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 role you're performing, um, you you should always be prospecting. This is like you know one of the things that I just keep on hammering into all of my sales reps is always be prospecting. If you think you've got any spare time in the day, fill it with prospecting. So for me, that, in, that includes myself. So um, a typical day would be, um, you know, in the morning, kind of getting off those initial tasks, maybe responding to some um, kind of uh, uh, pipeline uh, opportunity emails, um, uh, might be hopping on a discovery call, running a demo. Um, it will be, you know, allotting call time where for you know two hours or one hour and a half a day to, to literally be making outbound cold calls. Um, I'll try and kind of line up my, my own emails for first thing in the morning, whether I, I believe there's, there's more chance of them being opened and responded to. But a crucial part of my day is coaching my own team. I love uh, how you kind of blocked your your day out there. So you're sending out emails early so that they have a better chance of being opened up. Uh, you're spending the day with your team. Uh, and then once the day's over, that's when you start to kind of break down the game film, if you will, or the, or the, or the calls. One of the things, Richard, that you said that I absolutely love is no matter what role you're in, you should always be prospecting. Uh, I cannot agree more with that. It is so frustrating to me to see uh, sales leaders also not participating in the activities they're asking for their, their reps to do. In fact, uh, and, and there's even AEs that don't think they need to be prospecting anymore. They just are going to take the meetings that are, are set for them. One of the things that I like to say to my clients is everyone is always prospecting. You're either prospecting for new business or you're prospecting for a new job. I don't have time for people who aren't willing to put in the time prospecting because that's the only way we're going to generate uh, new revenue. So definitely like that. All right. I, I, you, you've kind of already started to allude to this. So I'm just going to tee it up. Uh, what was the role that you think coaching plays in, in the highest performing salespeople? 
It's, it's a really interesting question that, um, that Jim, and, and I've actually wrote about this recently um, because we um, a profile of custom that Refract sell to is um, recruitment um, consultancies and agencies uh, who very sales-driven organizations, they hire um, recruiters who are doing a lot of selling over the phone. And um, a, recent, a recent meeting that I went to with a, um, a business owner of a recruitment uh, consultancy um, they were really interested in Refract. They, they were bought into the, the whole concept of, of, of sales coaching and improving that and, and to get their salespeople more effective at selling over the phone. But one thing that he said to me, which really kind of hit home, was that he said, actually, I, I actually think your product is, 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 gonna, is, is, is only going to be relevant for my new starters, the new salespeople that I hire, the, the, the less experienced ones. And, and it just kind of made me think about, well, that, that, that's ultimately the wrong culture to be building. When we think about coaching, coaching should not just be for those new starters, those less experienced people. Yes, it might have the most, um, the highest degree of impact, um, but but as soon as, an, as soon as in a company we decide that there are salespeople that are too good to receive development and coaching, that is when I think we are letting, letting ourselves down as sales leaders um, because really when you think I'll, I'll go back to the sports uh, analogy you know you look at someone like Andy Murray the tennis player you know he, he's, he's world number one he's, he's a multi-millionaire he's won countless titles does he decide that he's, not, he's too good to have a coach of course he doesn't there are always things that he um, he and others can can be doing to, to fine-tune to improve their process new ways of handling ob ob objections and I think as a as a, as a wider issue um, when your highest performers get exempt from coaching, how do you think that makes the, 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 the people feel who are the less experienced, the people who are just starting off in sales, or maybe those performers who form the biggest chunk of our sales teams who are those kind of middle-of-the-road average performers? You know, that, that culturally, that's going to cause friction and, and, and tension, and that's just not necessary. So, so I think, you know, the, the, the coaching, it, the the, the the truth is, is that yes, it has its highest degree of impact with maybe the, those middle of the road performance, but but certainly nobody at all is exempt at any level in the sales organization from uh, uh, being being guided to improvement. You you've hit on this word impact multiple times, and I, and it, I found it fascinating. And here's why: yes, of course, new hires are going to you're going to see the biggest amount of impact, but that's because you're taking them from essentially nothing to something, which is a huge gain. But you mentioned you know the concept of the of the best. One of the things that I do with this podcast, if I go back and, and I kind of essentially have built in refract, if you will, because I listen to every episode that I produce because I'm trying to get better at this craft and I'm trying to understand how to answer or ask questions better. I'm trying to get the best uh, conversation out of guests and things like that. And so I have to listen to it. And so if you go back and listen to my early episodes, I'm making huge gains because there was so much opportunity for the gains. But as I've gotten better now, I'm making small little tweaks that may be completely unknown to the listeners, but I know how big they are. And, and I would never have gotten here if I wouldn't have started from the beginning. So the professional salespeople who've been doing this for a long time, we're talking about small tweaks that could be hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in additional revenue. Absolutely, Jim. And I'll, t I'll tell you uh, one real life example here um, that happened literally a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in, in the sales team. So when we were kind of thinking about how we pitch refract to certain prospects, 
almost that kind of that positioning statement can almost be the make or break thing which can lead to you know a successful cold call or even getting someone immediately bought into the whole concept of, of your product and one of our new sales reps who's literally been with the company for uh, about two to three months he used this phrase um, called highlighting the defining moments of sales conversations. And it wasn't until I actually listened to his callback. He, he hadn't been told that phrase. He hadn't been told to use that phrase. He, he, he kind of came up with that phrase himself. It wasn't until I actually listened back to his conversation where he built in that kind of buzz phrase. And I listened back to how well the prospect responded to that phrase. That was like, you know, it was a, it was an eye-opening moment where I said, right, everybody, Mark has just used this brilliant, brilliant phrase. Listen to how he used it. Listen to how the prospect responded. Everybody should start using that 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 phrase within their sales conversations. And it, it just showed that, you know, even for someone who was very new to the business, they still were able to offer huge amounts of value, huge amounts of value to myself uh, in particular, which I've seen has started even just using those small little words and buzz phrases in my sales conversations, I've noticed almost an exponential difference in reaction from a positive standpoint of how prospects respond to me when I talk to them. So here's the difference that I see in what you just said versus what most companies that I work with are typically doing. Most companies I work with, their training and, and their enablement is all very much text-based, right? So what I would have seen when this happened is I would have saw a Slack message to say, hey, uh, one of our reps just used the phrase defining moments and it worked really well. You should start using it. And so everybody now has been told what to do and all the reps are like, okay, I'm going to start doing that. But they don't understand the why. They don't understand how it's actually going to have an impact. But now by going back and being able to truly listen to not only the rep say it, but the reaction of the prospect, they're like, oh, I get it. Now the light bulb goes off and they can say, yeah, not only am I going to talk about defining moments, but here's what I should expect to see. And I just think that's brilliant. Absolutely. And, and it often makes me laugh if I ask a sales leader, you know, how often do you actually listen to your sales reps and their sales calls and how they interact with prospects? One common response I often get back is, oh, you know, we, we, we sit on the same sales floor so I can kind of hear one side of the conversation. And, you know, ultimately, that's, there's a problem there, because if you can only ever hear one side of a conversation, you can't hear how your prospects react. You can't hear, you know, what they said or how they paused or how they asked questions. You know, you're only you're still completely blinded to the impact of the conversational quality that that sales rep is actually having. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the point here is that sales managers need to be spending, you know, more time listening to how their reps actually engage with prospects as much as actually listening to what's resonating with prospects as well as you know what the what the salesperson themselves is saying so you've made the bold claim that sales coaching in general is just broken uh you you've stated that you know while ranked as one of the most important roles for managers they're only spending about five percent of their time doing it i I need you to elaborate on that go what does that mean the problem with sales coaching is that so many people out there, so many sales leaders, um, there was a, a study uh, and, a, and a survey done on this a couple of years ago. So many sales leaders will openly say that coaching their sales reps is the most important function that a frontline sales manager plays. Now, the problem is, is that in reality, that most important function a sales manager plays often comes number five, number six, number seven, number eight, even further down the, the actual priority list. 
So there's a massive, massive disparity there between what people are seeing and what people are actually doing in practice. And you know, the, if you ask if you ask people, the you know, managers, what is the biggest obstruction to you coaching? One of the common, you know, most common things you'll hear is time. It's I don't have enough time. I'd love to do. Be, I'd love to be doing more of the most important uh, role of uh, function of my role, but I, I'm just too busy with other things. I'm too busy trying to fill my own quota. I'm too busy in meetings. I'm too busy recruiting and hiring. Blah blah blah. Um, <clears throat> So there's, there's, but whilst there is, that is, I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that time is an obstruction. You know, I, I, I see myself time being a challenge when it comes to regular coaching. The, the reality is, shouldn't the most important function a frontline manager plays, shouldn't people be making time? You know, we, we spend so much time first thing in the morning. People get in the office. What's the first thing they do? They check their email. They go on their favorite sports sites. They check social media. You know, what if they took that one hour or half or 30, even 30 minutes of that time doing those, you know, tasks that aren't necessarily driving or moving the needle forward? What if they actually spent that time listening to how their sales rep performed on their sales call the day before where they came off that call and said, oh, I don't really know what happened. It started so well, but ended so miserably. You know, what, what would be the impact if the sales leader spent 30 minutes listening back to that call and identifying that defining moment of that conversation of where the, where the sales call took a turn for the worst and helping and, and trying to make sure that that doesn't happen again with that sales rep? Isn't that surely more important? Yeah, I think it definitely is. I think one of the things that I hear often is, you know, well, we do our our coaching, you know, in our, in our team meetings, and you know, <laughs> I, I've kind of, you know, you 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 chuckle, but I, I've heard you say before, you know, team meetings are not coaching sessions. What do you mean by that? You know, these these are things that I hear all the time when I'm asking sales leaders about, you know, what does coaching look like for you? And um, another big problem and why coaching is broken is that just the general misconceptions about what coaching actually is. Um, and, you know, if I had a pound for every time I've heard a manager say, oh, well, we have a weekly team call on a Monday morning and that constitutes coaching, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be a, a fairly well-off man. Um, <clears throat> and the reality is, is that, uh, you know, every every team has a team call. You know, we have them at Refract where we have a, a Monday morning um, almost kind of quick debrief about, you know, what happened last week? What stuff have you got going on this week? You know, what opportunities have you got close to closing? Did you lose any opportunities? Why is that? For me, that's not really coaching. You can get the answers to, yep, uh, yep, sales manager, I've got, you know, X opportunity that I think could be closing on Thursday this week, but I'm not, uh, you know, it, it might well fall the next week. You know, that all, all that's doing is you're getting lip service from a sales rep. Wouldn't it be better if that time was spent actually understanding, well, what is truly happening in that, in that opportunity? How did the last sales call go? What, you know, what did you find out? What, 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 did, what, what information didn't you get that you need to get on your next conversation? You know, this, is, this, this whole thing around sales meetings and feeling that time spent listening to sales reps talking about um, you know, how many meetings that they've got coming up this week, that is not elevating performance. Coaching equals improved performance team meetings aren't necessarily improving people's skills and, and, and performance. You now have analyzed or you've listened to and analyzed hundreds of calls at Refract. What's the most common thing that you've seen your sales reps or maybe others do to lose control of a sales process based on what you've seen and, and listened to in your own tool? Um, two things. Um, the first one is um, 
very very obvious one, but it, it, it continues to be a problem. Is sales reps spending too much time talking? <laughs> uh, they will they will start a discovery call, and after after you know the niceties at the start, it will be um, it can be four or five minutes before the the prospect has actually been engaged in conversation. Sounds sounds completely ridiculous, but I've I've heard it many times before. Um, so almost you know five minutes into a discovery call and you've you've already kind of lost the prospect. Um, and I think the second one is for me it is using the the wrong um, the wrong types of words and terminologies that can really you know they can change the prospect's perception of your business your product or the problem that you're solving you know there's so many kind of slight nuances and how you say things and how you ask things and the specific words that you decide to use and they can often be the things that can keep a prospect engaged keep a prospect enlightened um or you know otherwise losing them you know very quickly and and, and getting them to uh you know getting them switched off I've read another article about you and I'm going to switch gears here. So I read this article that you talked about where you believe that SaaS salespeople, SaaS sales leaders need to start charging for their trials. Uh, I think it's kind of counter to what I see everyone doing. So I got to ask, why is that? What I think we should be doing is, is really starting to push back on the request for free trials um, and actually start to ask some tough questions and challenge our prospects more. So this hit home for me on one conversation I had. Where I, you know, I'd identified some really compelling events for this prospect as to why they would use Refract. Um, I had them very excited about using the product, um, and I'd got to the stage where they said, "Can can we take a free trial?" To the point that I said, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be honest here. If I give you seven days access to this platform, you're almost gonna be giving yourself a disservice. We've identified that you've got these three key challenges that we can solve. Why do you need to have seven day free access?" In order to, you know, that that's not gonna that's that 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 seven days is not is not gonna prove that we can address those challenges. Yeah, seven days um, isn't gonna solve the problem. Yeah, precisely. And I said, if you're serious about addressing these problems, then let's get serious about your investment in this. You know, the um, you 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 know you you signing up for seven days and is is not is is yourself as a as a as a customer not taking your problems and challenges serious enough. Um, and it wasn't until I really pushed back on the prospect and kind of got them to see that. And the, the, the response was really kind of heartwarming where they kind of said, you know, Rich, you've got a point. We agree. Okay. What does it, um, what does it look like for us just to get going full time? Um, and I think as salespeople, we need to learn to just to be, be more challenging and, you know, questioning prospects and, and not just, not just, you know, seeing that the free trial is like, yes, free trial, this is going to equal a sale because, you know, believe me, going down that route and, and not challenge our, our prospects, the, 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 the chances of increasing your sales cycle, increasing the chances of that customer never closing will increase considerably. I now would like to use Refract just to listen to when my my sales reps who I coach are not pushing back on their prospects because I think that's critical of what you're talking about. There's what are they actually getting at, right? They are they just blowing you off and saying they want that 7-day free trial? What are they going to do? And and here's the thing, no matter what product you're selling, you know for a fact that people aren't going to actually do anything with the free trial. So why not call them out on it, right? And even use it as as third-party story and say, "Hey, 
can I tell you about the last time I gave out a seven day free trial? What actually happened was the customer logged into it once, didn't know how to use it and never logged into it again. And I followed back up with them a week and they wouldn't take my call anymore. Now that's probably not going to be you, but that's what's happened in the past. So let's just, can we, can we move on from there now? So I love that Richard, I've got to take a quick break so that we can thank our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, Head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Richard, are you ready for the money round? I can't wait, Jim. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Piggybacking off what I was saying just before is knowing how to ask the tough questions and having the balls to ask them. Um, you know, if you can't if you can't challenge your prospects, you're going to be forever having you know. Let me think about it. Yeah, you know, let's let's speak in a month or so. You know, you're, you're going to be having those responses as well as that. Tough questions allow you to disqualify bad fit prospects as well as qualifying good fit ones. Richard, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next thirty days doing? This is easy. So two things. Um, don't be afraid to ask those tough questions that you're a little bit unsure about whether you should ask them. And secondly, make even more time in your day for prospecting. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? Well, this is a tough one for me. I'd say I'd say love to win um, largely because for me, hating to lose just drives a kind of a negative mindset, not just for you, but also maybe the team around you of, of like almost being scared if you don't win. What's the reaction of my of my boss going to be like? So yeah, definitely a, a love to win guy. Richard, what's a book you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? The one that I really enjoyed reading was Impossible to Inevitable um, by Aaron Ross and Jason Lemkin. Um, kind of two key messages that really runs through that book that I, I think everyone can take on board is, um, you know, that there, there is like a template um, of success to follow that will, that will, that will, you know, increase your chances of success. And then also for, you know, those kind of um, startup companies, you know, getting to the first million dollars is it's called impossible because it's it's very hard. But once you do get past that million pound barrier, almost getting to that next stage of 10 million is is almost inevitable because you're just kind of repeating and, and rescaling the, the, the kind of the recipes of success. Sales tuners, if you would like to check out Richard's suggestion of From Impossible to Inevitable for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. There you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Richard, are, are you an Audible subscriber? I am, yes. That's right. I love it. I, I've got it loaded with you know probably 100 books and I, and I keep getting that. So uh, love, love, love the surface. Richard, what's something that you believe in that nearly no one agrees with you on? Yeah, I wouldn't say that nearly no one agrees with me on, but it's it's one that I feel 
um, the 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 kind of the the, the SaaS sales um, sort of a uh, predictable revenue model predict, predictable revenue model um, kind of disagrees with is that every salesperson in every company, no matter how senior you are, no matter what role you're playing, no matter what team you're sitting in, everyone should always be dedicating time every day to prospecting. It's the only thing that's going to help you out when things go bad, uh, and it's the only thing that's going to keep you confident as a salesperson and keep you tuned up with your sales conversations, which is what sales is all about. It's having powerful, impactful conversations. Amen. I love it. Uh, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales students out there grinding today? I would say that always assume the absolute worst case scenario. So even if you think that, you know, an order is going to land tomorrow and you're 95% sure, even though you, you know, even if you think that there is absolutely no chance whatsoever of, of not getting this deal, always assume that they won't come in because what that will drive is you to not get so focused and not so reliant on those opportunities, but get more reliant on building pipeline, putting new things on the top of the funnel, prospecting more just in case those things don't come in because I'm sure everyone has been in that position where we said, we've told our boss, this deal is going to come in. And what happens? It doesn't for whatever reason. So don't rest in your laurels and make sure that you've always got things uh, you know, propped up from behind. I'm going to get you out of here on this one, Richard. How could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to? The best way is either on LinkedIn, um, but also I'm quite active on Twitter as well. So Richard underscore refract is my Twitter handle. So yeah, feel free to uh, follow me on there. Richard, I enjoyed it, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. Cheers, James. Been great. Can I just say I love the way Brits pronounce the letter H as H? It's always been something I admired. My conversation with Richard was extremely beneficial for me as the coaching work I do hit many of the challenges he laid out. So hearing how he's using technology to solve some of them gave me ideas on how to increase the human element that I have. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one. Sales meetings are not coaching sessions. Every sales team has a weekly call. The reality is, for most, this is nothing more than a transfer of information meeting, debriefing the week that was, and getting updates for the week to come. Coaching equals improved performance, and sales meetings certainly do not do that. Instead, let's work on getting into specific details of opportunities by way of what happened during the calls words that were used, role-playing objections that could have been handled differently, or using client stories as references in certain scenarios. Breaking down those areas of improvement, just like an elite athlete, could be the difference between a promotion and interviewing at other companies. Number two, prospecting happens at all levels. No matter what your title says, if you belong to a sales organization, some amount of your time in your day should be spent on direct prospecting. I know this is counter to the populist movement of specialization, but I seriously believe everyone should be prospecting. If you work with me, you're either prospecting for new clients or prospecting for a new job. Sales is the lifeblood of an organization and prospecting is the only thing that will save you in the event of a downturn. Number three, challenge your prospects. It seems like everyone is comfortable hearing no from a prospect maybe even too comfortable, but I rarely hear of sales reps being willing to say no or push back on their prospects for fear of killing an opportunity. I've often seen requests for references, white papers, and trials as nothing more than stall tactics. Be willing to challenge a prospect and get them to help you understand what exactly will change if you do what they're asking. That's it. 
Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop?